some pastors have honored me with the privilege of beginning the Advent season, the theme, Let There Be Light. Would you open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, a verse that we're going to touch off from, but not stay with. Matter of fact, we're, we're going to be covering a lot over the whole sweep of Scripture, and I will do my best today to get you done before the Cowboy Day, which is next week. It is, but it's one of the, I, seriously, I have, uh, I'm preaching today, the subject that I'm preaching on, I have never preached or taught on before. And so I can't wait to find out what I'm going to say. Uh, and I just saw some, he's joking, right? Kind of. Gospel of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him, I want you to get these two things brought together. In Him was what? Life. And the life was the what? Light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness still hasn't overcome it. It is not within the power of darkness to overcome light. The night of his arrest, Jesus spoke the following cryptic words. This is your hour and the power of darkness. There is a power of darkness. Darkness cannot overcome light. Aren't you glad? Amen. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all men might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So that there is a distinction that is being made with someone who is bearing witness about the light and the light itself. The one who is bearing witness about the light is bearing light, correct? And yet, the light bearer is not himself the light, even though when he comes in, the light comes on, right? The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. I'm going to stop with that. Why? Because if I go on, I'll end up not getting to what I was going to talk about today. Because what I'm going to talk about today is something that I never really realized had a story in the scripture before. And that is the lampstand in the temple. The lampstand in the temple. We are, as well as coming into the season of Advent, our Jewish friends are preparing to celebrate Hanukkah. That begins, as a matter of fact, Hanukkah begins a week from today, this year. And in their celebration, one of the things that they are going to do is each of the eight days of Hanukkah, they are going to light a candle on a menorah. A menorah is a nine-branch candlestick that they are going to be using to celebrate a season. What they are celebrating in this season is not a 
one of the feasts authorized by Moses. It was a feast authorized by Judas Maccabeus and his brothers in the second century BC, which commemorated their victory over the, Syri the Greek Syrian king Antiochus IV, driving Syrian and Greek forces out of Jerusalem and purifying the temple. Now Antiochus IV styled himself Epiphanes. His father was Antiochus the Great, but he was Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphanes means he is the manifestation of the gods. And his whole program was to try to convert the Jews from the worship of Yahweh to the worship of Zeus. And he brought the worship of Zeus, he brought an idol of Zeus into the temple that had been built. And he offered, in order to, in order to just punctuate the point, on the altar of the Lord Jehovah God, he offered a sow as a sacrifice. Desecrating, defiling, fulfilling the prophecy of Daniel of an abomination of desolation that would be coming into the temple. But Judas Maccabeus, Judas, the name Maccabee means the hammer. Judas the hammer led a revolt against this and drove them out and won a victory. And in order, and in securing that victory, they were determined we are going to purify the temple. The Feast of Tabernacles was supposed to have been celebrated back in the previous, what, I, what for us would have been the month of October, just a couple of months previously. Now here, it's winter time, but they were determined we are going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles and we are going to purify the temples. And they destroyed the altar of Zeus that was put in there, rebuilt the altar of the Lord, came back in, and they were purifying the temple, rededicating it, and having a Feast of Dedication. That's what the word Hanukkah means, dedication. And they relit the lampstand in the temple. Now, according to legend, which was not recorded in the ancient documents, in the book of Maccabees and in the, the Jewish historian Josephus, but was recorded in writing centuries later, there was only, they could only find one day's worth of purified, sanctified oil to light the lamp. But they used it. And then according to the legend, that one day's cruise of oil lasted for the full eight days of the feast. And Jews today celebrate Hanukkah by coming and lighting the lamps each, once, each night of the feast so that the lamp would burn. And commemorating that, did you know that the Feast of Hanukkah is mentioned in the Gospels? Did you know that Jesus attended Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem? It's in the Gospel of John, <coughs> chapter 10. Go ahead and put that up there. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter. There's so much in there, just in, that, in those, those three words, it was winter. 
It was not just a time stamp for John. He is saying something about the spiritual condition of the people when Jesus was there. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon, and so the Jews gathered around. They crowded him. They pressed in on him. And they said, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I did tell you, and you, didn't, you don't believe. When did he tell them? Let's put up the next one. When did he tell them? Well, he told them two chapters ago, and about two months previously, when he was there during the Feast of Tabernacles. Because the Feast of Tabernacles is one of the main parts of that is the lighting of the lights. This is what they were imitating in this feast that was preserved as to commemorate their deliverance and their uh, the cleansing of the temple was the lighting of the lights. But this was actually kind of copied over from the Feast of Tabernacles in which the lighting of the lights was very significant. And Jesus, in the midst of the feast, stood up and said, he spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So they came around him during the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Dedication. They were coming around him during Hanukkah when they were the lighting the lights. And they said, why don't you go ahead and just tell us straight out who you are. And Jesus said, I did tell you and you're not believing me. It's not that you didn't hear me. It's not that you're not listening. It's that you don't believe it. Mm. Let's go on to the next one. The lampstand in the temple was one of the several furnishings that began in the tabernacle in the wilderness. And the book of Hebrews tells us Hebrews chapter 8. All of these things serve as a copy and shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you in the mountain. Next slide. Hebrews 9, 1 and 2 says, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. And it goes on there, and the writer of Hebrews begins to describe the rest of the issues of the tabernacle and how what the tabernacle is reflects a spiritual reality, a heavenly reality. Now here's what our problem is. We have a difficult time finding spiritual things to be real. Now don't sit there and look at me spiritual like that. So what are you talking about for you? You're saying I don't think spiritual things are real. I'm saying that it is extremely difficult, especially for we in our age, but really for humankind in, in general, to really comprehend the reality of the spirit world. So the lampstand is one of the things that was given to Israel in their tabernacle to help them to see something about the spirit world. What did we read just a few moments ago from the Gospel of John, chapter 1? In him was life, and the life was the light of man. And light shines, where does light shine best? In darkness. 
Prophet Isaiah prophesied that people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. We're going to see during this Advent season that theme coming back over and over again as the light of the world has come. The holy place dedicated by Moses in the tabernacle in the wilderness was not the first holy place. Anybody venture a guess as to which one, as to what was? Put up the next slide, go ahead and read it again. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Now a garden is not a natural structure, is it? People go out, people, people go out to the wilderness, you know, and see the beauty of nature and all of this, and they say, oh, this is just like the Garden of Eden. No, it's not. If it's wilderness, it's not a garden. Well, this is a garden of God. No, no, no. God had created a beautiful world, but it was wilderness. But in the midst of the wilderness that he had created, God made, structured a garden. God did that. God did that. God built that garden, a structured, ordered environment in which he put the man he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring, Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the middle of the garden. And right in the dead center, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't know if you've ever reflected on, on this, but in order to go to eat from the knowledge, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Eve and Adam had to walk right past the tree of life. Did that ever occur to you? I'm not going to go into detail about the Garden of Eden as being a sanctuary and a holy place. Uh, scholars do that, they've studied it, and, and, and I could, I would, if we were going to do a study specifically on that, there are so many things that I could show you and so many connections between this and that. But Moses, when he was given instructions by God on building the tabernacle, so many of the things that are characteristic of the Garden of Eden are built into the tabernacle. Including a holy place in which the Lord God walked back and forth. The same verb that is used of the Lord God walking back and forth is the, uh, the, is the same word of the Lord moving about in the sanctuary. In the tabernacle. And the next, uh, what's the next slide here? And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. Those two words, those, those verbs, to work it and keep it. Those same two Hebrew words are the same words that are used of the duties of the priests in the tabernacle. To work it and to guard it. 
to serve and to guard, to work and to keep, to serve and to guard. There's, there's so many. Those are just a couple of the things. Those are just a highlight. Now, I want you to think about the structure of the Garden of Eden just for a moment. Just look at that. And as you walked in, the further that you got into the garden, the closer that you got to the tree of life, but then beyond the tree of life, and by the way, were they forbidden to eat from the tree of life? No. no. The tree of life was one of all of the trees of the garden which were good for food and so forth, which way they were permitted to eat from. They were not given any commandment to re that restricted them from the tree of life. From what tree were they restricted? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The forbidden zone like the Holy of Holies, which was the forbidden zone. And what was in the Holy of Holies? The Ark of the Covenant of God, in which were the, was kept the tablets of stone brought down by Moses from the mountain. And what did the tablets of stone hold? The law of God Thou shalt not. And what is the penalty for eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? The day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And what is the penalty for coming into the most holy place and violating the covenant chest of the Lord Jehovah God? You shall surely die. The forbidden zone. But right outside of the forbidden zone, in the tabernacle, and the forbidden zone is covered by a wall, later in the temple, a great piece of cloth. But outside, you have the altar of incense on which are placed the prayers of the people in a symbolic way of smoke rising to the Lord. And to one side, to the right, as you're facing out, looking out from the most holy place, there is the golden lampstand and the table of showbread, the bread of the presence. And what do we have? How would put up the next slide here? This is an artist's rendering of what the golden lampstand might have looked like. We don't know. We're given a description of certain features that Moses uh, was commanded to have built in to this hammered gold structure. It wanted to be all of gold. All of gold. Pure gold. And it was to be hammered out into a structure that had seven branches each one uh, the King James says candlestick that's because the King James translators did what modern translators today often do and that is contextualize the language uh, and people didn't have lampstands with oil lamps in those days but they did have candlesticks something that they did not have back in the days of the wilderness and so King James says candlestick 
but it's, uh, they were lampstands, they were oil lamps, and oil was placed into the lamps, and the lamps were to be fed with oil every day, and lit at dusk every night, and the, light, and the lights were to be kept, and periodically they would have to be refilled, those, those uh, lamp wells would have to be refilled throughout the night so that the lamp would not go out because the light was never to go out in the holy place of God. Mm. Now it's not because God needs light. The psalmist said the darkness and the light are alike to thee. No, God doesn't need it. God can see in the dark. We can't. We can't. Well, the only people who came into the holy place were priests. It's not the point. The only people who ever saw this were the priests. It's not the point. The point is that the priests were the representatives of all the people. And the point is that the lamp is not for the priests, it's for Israel. To see the light and the life. But it's also something else. The lampstand itself is to represent Israel. It re it, there's a double representation there. It is a representation of what God has brought to them and of what they are to be to the world. For as Christ is the light of the world, shining in the darkness, the life and the light of men which enlightens every man coming into the world, just also we, like John, come to bear witness concerning the light that is the true light that enlightens every man coming into the world. So that there is a double meaning in all of this. You follow? Put up the, the next slide there. So there's a representation there in the tabernacle of how it was laid out. Not necessarily how it looked. It's, a, it's an artist rendering, an imaginative view of how it might have looked in the temple. It was a very colorful place. And it was the most brightly lit structure in the camp. But there were no windows. So the light needs to shine in the darkness, particularly through the night. Now, there's an interesting story here. This, we, the tabernacle in the wilderness was carried through the wilderness wanderings for 40 years. Finally, the breakthrough, people of Israel, children of Israel led by Joshua into the promised land, carried across the Jordan, brought in, set up <coughs> in the promised land. And there, were, there was a time of great victory under Joshua. And then we enter the season of the judges, a dismal, dark time in which people found out how to give away the game. Found out how they could lose as the people of God. And it became a, spiritual, a time of spiritual decline. So that even the spiritual leadership in Israel was in decline. There was Eli, who was a judge. 
and being a judge meant that at one time in his life he led the deliverance in Israel. He was a deliverer. He was a hero. But we don't know the stories of his being a deliverer and a hero. We only know the stories of the late days of his decline in which he led a nation in a lazy, sloppy, self-indulgent manner. And his sons were corrupt and brought disrepute on the priesthood and on the sacrifices that they offered for the people. And things were in decline. And in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 2, We have these, or chapter three, we have these words. A young boy who has been, who was given in response to a vow by his mother, who had prayed desperately that God would give him a child. And this was the child. And in fulfilling her vow, she brought him to the tabernacle to be raised as a priest. And little young Samuel works under the old self-indulgent has-been hero, Eli. And sees the corruption of Eli's sons around him. That is his example. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days and there was no frequent vision. And at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. And these words, verse 3, just really hit me. Look at them. The Lamb of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark was. Now on the first, on the surface and literal level, that's a time stamp. A time stamp for a time of day. Because if the Lamb of God had not yet gone out, it means that it was just before dawn. Because the timing of the oil in the lamp was such that it would burn, it would not burn out until the dawn. The Lamb of God had not yet burned out, so it means it was the dark time before the dawn. But we, that's a, that's a figurative expression for us, isn't it? the darkness before the dawn. Now, does this strike you the way it strikes me right now? The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Some of you were once members of churches that were kind of dead. And you wondered at some point in your spiritual life, is there really any point to this? Is there any really any real point to this religious stuff? Why should we keep doing this? Why should we keep meeting like this? Why should we keep singing these songs? Why should we keep praying these prayers when we're not getting through? When it doesn't seem to be anything. You know, I don't really have an answer to that. I really don't. Do you keep on whenever it just doesn't mean anything anymore? I don't know. I really don't have an answer to that. But what I do see is right here. 
in a time of deep spiritual declension. The land of God had not yet gone out. There was a there was a, a little boy who was for whom his mother had made a little garment just like the priest did. Looked like a little priest walking around. And he was going around just like one of the priests, but he was doing the priest jobs and he was doing the menial stuff. And he was filling the lamps. And he was sleeping in the tabernacle so that whenever it was time to get up and refill a lamp, he'd go and make sure he was get up and do it. So he was he was doing his job. He was keeping it done. It was kind of like Samson's hair. Every other vow that was Samson was under, he had broken. But he kept the vow of his hair. And as long as he did, there was a connection between him and God. I don't know the answer to the question of whether you keep on after things become meaningless. But I do know that there is a connection that God continues to make with us. He is a tenacious God. He does not let go. Let's go to the next slide. Let's zoom ahead. Years later, <coughs> centuries later, the nation of Israel has endured split into two kingdoms. They have endured plunges into idolatry and surprising revivals and then more plunges into idolatry and finally into exile and then out of exile miraculous redemption of some a remnant that return and the remnant that returns they come back into a completely devastated Jerusalem where the Babylonians have totally destroyed the temple that Solomon made by the way you know how many lampstands there were in Solomon's temple ten everything Solomon did so big there are, <coughs> tabernacle had one lampstand this temple is too big for one lampstand we need ten we need ten lampstands and ten tables of showbread. And this is, they apparently were some of the first things that were uh, apprehended by Pharaoh Shishank in the days of Solomon's son Rehoboam when he invaded. Why? Because it's gold and we like gold. So when they came and rebuilt the temple, just had one, one lampstand again. But that, at this point, that new ten, that temple hasn't been rebuilt yet. They came in, they laid the slab, they laid the foundation. But 20 years passed and nobody had built anything on it. Why? Because there was fierce, fierce legal and social opposition and political opposition against them. They couldn't get it done. Finally, they have a couple of leaders who, under being stirred up, God sent some couple of prophets. He sent a prophet by the name of Haggai. So I'm basically kind of like an old Baptist preacher get up there and said, Build the temple. Get her done. <laughs> that was his message. But then they had another prophet, Zechariah. And to Zechariah, God gave visions of things that were so far beyond this immediate moment of the problem of the temple. 
and God gave him sight to see a plan that he really didn't understand and you can tell in the language that Zechariah is writing he's seeing these visions and he doesn't know what they all mean <coughs> beyond this but the writers of the New Testament began to look back at the visions of Zechariah and began to, to say this is fulfilled here and this is fulfilled here and this is going to be fulfilled there and so much so in Zechariah and one of the visions that Zechariah was given was a couple of lampstands in a temple that hasn't been built yet. And the lampstands do not look like the lampstands of memory from Solomon's temple or from Moses' tabernacle. I'm not going to go into all of the design and all the description of all of that. But he said, and I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And then the angel talked to me and answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? <laughs> I said, No, no. I asked. And that's kind of fun, the dialogue between Zechariah, the prophet, and the angel who's bringing in this vision. What are these? Well, don't you know? No. <laughs> Next slide. I missed, somewhere I, we've missed a a verse there. Let me go, let me take you back to Zechariah. Because <coughs> this is kind of significant. Kind of. And then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Now who's Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel is a descendant of King David, but he's not a king. But he is the governor of Judea. And the Lord said to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Have you ever heard those words before? Did you know that that was in a vision about lampstands? Okay, let's see if we can reconstruct this and put this together. God has shown Zechariah a vision of these strikingly remarkable, multi-dimensional lampstands. And you know what's on the sides of these two lampstands? Olive trees. Providing a direct pipeline of perpetual fuel to these lampstands. And later on in this vision, these two lampstands are identified. This is another one of those things that said, Well, who are these? What are these, my Lord? Don't you know? No? It's another one of those dialogues. And the angel identifies them. These are the two witnesses who stand before the Lord and who stand before the people that are going to fulfill this. What is being said here? These two witnesses were Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest. By the way, the name Joshua translates also into Greek into Jesus. Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest, these are going to be the two men 
And the immediate situation, the situation here, is we've got to get this temple rebuilt. God has commissioned and, he's, and there is incredible opposition. How are we going to overcome this opposition? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you how. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. But what, Zechariah, what is being given to Zechariah is a vision that lifts this immediate situation above the immediate problem of getting the temple built to an overarching plan of salvation for the whole world. This temple must be built because there are prophecies that must be fulfilled. Because there is one who is coming in to visit this temple. Who is the light of the world. And yes, this temple is going to be a temporary structure. But it calls to a structure that is eternal in the heavens. And a place of reconciliation between God and man. I wish we could see our problems. Our not as individual issues, but as part of an overarching plan of God. So that when we, we become perplexed and we say, how are we going to get through this? We will really know and understand what it is when he says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Well, let's move on to the past all of this. Let's move on ahead. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Who is that? You know who that is. This is the vision of John on Patmos. And Christ is given to him. And it's not the Jesus who walked with him in Galilee as he, see, as he sees him. He is the Christ who is elevated and exalted in glory at the right hand of God the Father. And he is depicted coming among him and he, he holds seven stars in his hand and he walks among seven golden lampstands. You see, the lampstands are not the light, but they, are, they came to bear witness concerning the light that is the true light which enlightens every man coming into the world. And these lampstands are now not Zerubbabel and Joshua. These lampstands are now the seven churches in Asia. And the first church that's mentioned is Ephesus. And he who walks among the seven golden lampstands says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. Do the first works you did at first. If not, I will come to you. Do what? Remove your lampstand. I don't think... I think the church of Ephesus would have considered that the highest rebuke that they could have received, anybody could ever receive. Now we look on and see the other messages that the risen Lord in glory sends to these seven churches in Asia, these other six churches, and some of them get 
no rebuke and much high praise, and some of them get really severe rebuke. We might think that the church in Laodicea gets the most severe rebuke of all, but to the church in Ephesus, they would hear these words from the Lord. And I think it would break their heart. Don't you? What could be a more severe rebuke than the Lord saying to his church, to the lampstand, to those who bear witness concerning his light? You're useless. I'm just going to take you away. I'm going to remove your lampstand. I don't need you. Mm. Who are we? And what are we supposed to do to bear witness concerning the light? But in order to do that, we've got to love the light, which is the life of men, the tree of life, the light of life. We've got to be partaking of the life, and we've got in order to bear the light. Does that make sense? Let me say that again. We've got to be partaking of the life in order to bear witness concerning the light. Mm. Let's move on. One more passage I want to show you. Because lampstands are temporary and temporal. The light is eternal. Lampstands are temporary and temporal. The light is eternal. And I saw no temple in the city. This is the city that has come down from heaven in the vision of the book of Revelation. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun and moon to shine on it. The glory of God gives it light. And its lamp, its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Echoes of the words of the echoes of the prophecy of Isaiah. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. The darkness banished forever. We're not talking about literal day and night and all of it. What we're talking about is light and darkness. Light and life. Light and life. Not the darkness and death. Light and life. What are we talking about? What are we saying? What are we talking about? What is all this really saying to us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But have everlasting life. To believe in him who is the light and life of the world is to receive and to be able to live now, even in the midst of this present darkness, in a light and life that partakes of the age to come in which there is no darkness, there is no night, there is no death. Amen. 
and to bear witness concerning the light to a world that is in darkness. I like lights at Christmas. I like the fact that the light of the world has become our theme for Advent. I pray that it will minister to us. And Jesus said to us, You are the light.